0: Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. My name is Panos and today, unfortunately, me and Luke are going to sit down and do that episode talking about mustard dogs that we did promise last time. However, unfortunately, our good friend is not feeling well and he's sitting this one out so it will just be me and you today. Today's episode has been inspired by Dwayne from Dry Creek Ranger School. He has a YouTube channel, you guys should check that out. He mainly, his episode's all about, you know, wrangling and working with horses and horse advice. He also has a lot of, like, motivational, inspirational sort of advice that he gives as well. So I've been tuning in and listening to some of the advice that he can give. And actually, one of his topics of discussion was literally pick your battles. So I stole that from you, Duane. And because I thought it was something that is definitely applicable in our dog training journey. So look, it's really, really important that you literally do pick your battles on so many different fronts. Number one, we'll talk more about a pragmatic sort of training session. So I did put an episode, um, I did put a video up with me training a German Shepherd called Kai. And if this gets released today or tomorrow, then it's probably like seven videos ago. So you you should go and check it out. So you can see in that session, I was trying to establish good play. I wanted him to bring the ball back to me after I threw it. I wanted to charge the marker for me throwing it, along with charging a marker to play tugs, or two separate markers. And for that, I needed to have a good intensity of the game. I wanted him to bring the ball back to me before I started to issue and start to associate those markers another thing that popped up is his leave it command or for him to drop it was a little bit dodgy like he'll be chewing it a bit holding it double down a little bit so even though i did work through it i didn't want to focus all of my session on the leave it too much otherwise then i'll be working on four or five different things all at the same time And in that moment, I want to pick my battle. So how I I dealt with him, and actually, in fact, throughout the session, his leave it was coming along well. So it just happened to be that I was working on it indirectly, but I didn't want to focus all of the energy on it. I wanted to show him that, first of all, if you do leave it, then we are going to play. I didn't issue too many commands in that session. It was revolving around play. And then, of course, if I throw the ball, when you bring it back towards me, we're going to continue playing again, where a lot of the times people throw the ball, I'll go get the ball, retrieves it back and then we immediately say hey leave it so I can get you to do a bunch of stuff so I can throw it again. So in this case it was I throw the ball, you grab the ball, bring it back to me, we play a big fun game. It's one of those balls on the rope. Makes life easy. So you want to pick your battles when something pops up within a session. You don't want to look at it as going "All right, cool I'm going to fix this right now. No you're going to add that to the list for the next session or the session after to address rather than trying to work on 50 million things at once in one session and then if you do go, hey, look, I'm going to really work on the leave it while I'm trying to establish other things. Now your dog's now thinking about the leave it. You may have asked too much all at once. Now your dog's overwhelmed thinking, you know what? We finished that session on on a negative note. And one, and if that happens here and there, it's not a big deal. But if you get into the habit of trying to make everything perfect at once, I think you can really screw yourself over. So, And then it obviously affects you and your dog. So another thing to think about in regards to picking your battles would be you may be able to use compulsion using pressure to get your dog to go into the car for example but in that moment is it worth it now for example give you some context if i have a dog struggling to get into the car in and out of the car and they are and they have been able to get in and out of the car but maybe something acute's happened dog slipped out or you know something occurred and now the dog's like nah i don't want to go in the car usually using some compulsion using a bit of pressure on the leash to get them in the car where if we have a bit of a hesitation especially if the dog like jumped out of the car and then happened to like you know just trip and slip and you know now the dog's got a bit of a bad taste in his mouth of jumping out of the car and then we either go two ways it's either we just try to bribe the dog with food and the dog's so scared he doesn't like not so scared but he's overwhelmed he's not really caring about the food or it could be that you just pick your dog up and, br- and take him out and None of them are really that bad in regards to in that moment. But of course, it's more desirable if your dog can jump in and out of the car, if they're physically able. So spades can't jump in and out of the car anymore because he's old. So I'm not making him jump in and out. I have to literally pick him up. Same thing with my little Nookie. She's four kilos and she's so small. And I've got a high car, my um, tall ute. It's hard for me to get her to jump in and out of the car. Don't really care. I can pick her up. I would like if she jumps in the car. But I'm gonna pick my battles and I'm not gonna put anyway. She she physically couldn't. But if I if I did want to, then I have to like get some little stairs, a little ramp, and teach them. And for me, they they're rarely going in and out of my car these days. Um so I pick them up. We were chilly, it's in, it's out, dog comes in and out. So let's just say, for example, today, literally, we worked on a young golden retriever poodle coming up and down the stairs. She was freaked out by going up and down the stairs. She never really done it before, she's quite young. And what I did was I had her on the harness and instead of using food to bribe her down and, and lure her effectively, um, and the owners had been picking her up and taking her up and down, which is fine, but um, I had her on the harness and a little bit of leash pressure up and down the stairs. Maybe the first once or twice was a little bit awkward for her. And by the end of the session, even the, the six-year-old um, child was able to walk the dog up and down the stairs. They also had an issue with the dog coming in, getting in the car. Now I had to assess what was going to be too overwhelming for her and in that moment, I'm like, look, for now, until next time, you're just going to have to pick the dog up and put her in and out of the car. We're not going to go up and down the stairs and immediately now put a bit of pressure to get her in the car. I think that's just a little bit too much. If, for example, to isolate outside of that situation, to be that, well, I need to take my dog to the vet. So I had another client um, having an issue with you know, yearly vaccination. Dog got really overwhelmed by the vet, barked at her, and the, and, and the vet gave some advice and said to come back next time. I would say in that moment, if it's for a vaccination and it's not like we need that to happen today, then I would say, look, you're going to pick your battles. You could literally shove a muzzle on her, put her in an arm lock and go, give her the vaccination or give her the medication that she needs. And in that moment, you would pick your battles. I'm going to make her feel a little bit unsure of this vet, not because I'm giving her vaccination, but because we need to give her life-saving treatment right now for whatever reason. And... Is the risk worth the benefit in that moment? So when I wanted to get Chili um, tested for his undercenter testicle, I did just that. I could have stayed there for an extra 20 minutes and make him happy with the vet, but instead I just held him by the collar. I held him close to my chest. There was an uncomfortable moment or two where Chili had his groin tested and tested. I mean, I um, felt with a gloved handle and um, a glove hand, not a glove handle, and. In that moment, I was willing to take that risk because the next time we went like so what I did was be- between then and the surgery that he needed, we would go into the vet frequently, have a positive experience. We actually saw Benny, our, our vet, he he would give him some food, give him a pat, whatever. So there was no no harm, no foul. Where with my client the other day, when he was struggling to get the vac- vaccination, I'm like, look, pick your battles. Know, is it worth it in that moment? So You don't want to ruin your relationship or ruin an association with having it your way where you do have to consider the dog now sometimes you can't have to consider the dog but also your way is more important for whatever it is the outcome is especially if it's a medical procedure or or whatever um whatever have you so another situation would be your dog's in the long lead and your dog has an issue with chasing birds or chasing whatever Your dog's in the long lead. You could risk in that moment. Should I just have my dog not chase the birds by working on a separate technique? Or should I in this moment while I'm teaching the recall? Again, it's not a trained recall. Your recall is still in the early days. Should I risk it so like with the distractions, with the external motivators being so high? Should I ask that recall right now, potentially fail it? And I can and set the dog up for failure, or should we just bit of pressure on the leash, maybe a bit of name game? Ask your dog's attention to come to you, playing a big fun game, or walking off. Just even bracing the leash until you can you can get a little bit more control. So I'm giving another different example of sometimes and most of the time you should set your dog up for success, ensure that it happens, and and do the work that is necessary. However, there's times where you're like, mm, I'm not sure if I'm ready for this big fight you're calling your dog to come, your dog's not coming. Now you're really pushing the recall. Now you've not really effectively trained the recall because your dog didn't really learn anything out of that situation. So, but I think the biggest one that I had to learn is, you know, being a young trainer, you know, 11 plus years ago and and working and looking, admittedly, you know, being so far in the past, I could have done with with a lot more hands-on skills, and of course, I did learn throughout the years to seek advice and improve my skills. But there was times where I learnt the hard way when dealing with aggressive dogs, and that you know I probably got bitten a little bit more than I needed to, and you know, and as I, I guess, matured and became a little bit more wise to my art and craft, that um, you know, and valuing my my health and safety as well is that. There's a way in which you should deal with aggressive behaviour. So, for example, there's you're trying to build the trust in a dog as a, as a trainer. So I don't you're not you're not the person who owns a dog. I've come over and the dog isn't super fond of me being in their presence. And let's just say we're getting along with each other. But then also on the list is resource guarding. Now, there's going to be a time where As you are interacting with the dog in the house, there happens to be some food that drops on the ground. Now, there's a moment here where you drop the food on the ground and now I would just say just let the dog eat it. But let's just say you go to pick up the food because you don't want to encourage a dog from eating on the floor for whatever reason. And that dog now has some possession over that food and then tries to offer you out and then offers a growl and be like, hey, I'm going to bite you. While it's still an early interaction in your relationship, I would say in that moment, you pick your battles, you know, and you turn around and walk off. Where for example, if you've got a bit more of a relationship and the food goes on the ground, you go to pick it up and the dog cries a bite and then you put a bit more pressure on the dog. I'm not saying that you should be putting pressure on the dog for resource guarding, but let's just say, maybe not food is a good situation. Let's just say, forget that I just said that. Let's just say that you're building the relationship with the dog, dog jumps on the couch. And one of the things is, no, we want to create a little bit more structure in the house and you're not allowed to jump on the couch. But then you coming to grab the dog now and then pull him off the couch, He means that he bites you because he's resource guide the couch. So again, please ignore the food. And we're, I'm not going to edit any of this. Ignore the food example because it's a little bit more nuanced and a bit different. So um, now in that moment, I would say, hey, buddy, got some food. Let's lure you off. Come onto your bed. And I'm going to reward you. It's an early interaction. Well, let's just say it's session three and things are going well. Dog gets to know you a little bit more. You're building trust and relationship. You're, um, you're you're getting the dog to work. Your dog's accepting of you, and you're allowed to touch them. You're able to you know play with them. Things are happening, and then the dog jumps on the couch. Dog's got the leash on. dog jumps on the couch like nah, off. You grab the lead, and he goes. To, it goes to bite you, and you give him a correction. You got to get off this couch. In that moment, you've picked the right battle. Where if that happened in session one. And you want to try to put the pressure on the dog to be like, you need to get off this couch now. And I'm going to double down on this because I'm the boss. That would be the wrong thing to do in this example. Because now some people would say, no, you should always show dominance in every situation. But then will that really be gaining the trust in a dog, especially if his aggression is coming from an insecurity, from fear, rather than the dog just being dominant. Sometimes, ironically, showing some submission In a particular situation to gain trust for the long term can be the best thing to do rather than, you know, Caesar Milan every single situation and alpha roller dog just because you want to get your way every time because that may make good television. That may make a a good emotional reaction and may even get a good behavior for that day or maybe even just for that one individual. But does that mean it's going to be long term for all the for the owners involved, for the dog in general? So you do really need to pick your battles. Is it something that you want to condition for the long term, or is it something that you want a short, sharp, quick fix? Because sometimes the quick fix can work really well, and sometimes a quick the attempt of the quick fix can really backfire on you. So you know we're looking at you know winning a war, so to speak, in the metaphor, rather than each individual battle. Sometimes you lose some, sometimes you win, but as long as you're moving towards that that final goal. And for example, with the dog that's on the couch and it's happened heaps of times where I've sat on the couch and I've gotten too close and the dog growls at me and I'm just like, I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to move where I'm not going to push the dog to, no, 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 this is my couch. You get off. I'll be like, you can growl at me. I'm just going to sit here. And then I get the owner to like lure him off and provide a little bit of guidance. That's where, of course, you would even pick your battles of Should I let this dog be off the lead in my house, jumping on couches and grabbing the washing and possessing the clothes and if I try to get it off, he's going to try to bite me. A lot of that resource guiding nature comes, comes from a breakdown in relationship and too much freedom in the house. And, you know, the dog's not really respecting of where it's supposed to and where it's allowed to be, you know, owners probably aren't being assertive enough, but there has to be a level of teaching your dog what you want them to do before teaching what they're not allowed to do. But in saying that as well, there's times where there's a baby in the house Baby sitting on the couch, dog jumps up, bounds all over the couch. I go to grab by the, the collar and take him off. It just happened the other day. I'm like, oh, I'm just literally trying to, I'm the closest person to the dog. I need to get the dog off. And this dog wasn't like red zone aggressive, going to kill me. But as soon as I grabbed his collar, he tried to bite me. And I'm like, no, man, you have to get off. So your war- his warning bite didn't work. And in that moment, I was willing to pick that right battle. Because in that moment, it was a, it was a single event learning. The dog understood what I wanted him to do. I'm like, no, nah, not while I'm here. And then giving that example can also help the owner see, hey, I can be a bit more assertive in this situation. So another situation about picking your battles would be maybe a conflict with the client. Maybe you rock up to a session first time, and this is for people that are listening who are clients, this is for dog trainers who are listening who are dog trainers, is that you may think that the dog should come off his front clip harness or on a Mahatengar collar or something, and you may need to get him on a slip lead, but the people don't like the slip lead. And you do your best, or it could go for crate training. It's like, you know, I can understand what's happening here, but I really think we should go down this route. And in that moment, you get a bit of pushback going, man, I think crates or I think slip leads are are, are a little bit too much and I'm not willing to use it. And it's like, oh, you have the discussion, you're trying to educate, and they're like, no, no, I'm doubling down. Now, you could go, hey, I'm going to double down too because this, this is 100% necessary. You may give a bad taste in the, in, in the owner's experience with you And it may taint all the the things that you can share in the future where if you can go, look, uh, and and look, and there is a bit of a skill. (laughs) There is a lot of learning to be done in terms of how to interact with people, especially where you know the results that you can provide will be everything that they've even asked for. And it can get frustrating as well where you do offer some advice and people don't do it because they just don't like to do it. they They can't explain why I don't like that collar. I don't know why I don't like the crate. Um, but I really have to have my dog toilet trained or I have to have my dog under a physical control when I have him on the leash. It could be difficult. So sometimes you need to look at the long terms. Like, look, all right, you're not willing to use a slip lead. That's cool. You do what you're doing. This is what I'm going to offer you. But next time, give it a go. And let's see how we go. So you even though you know you're right, sometimes you're pushing for the right thing. For some people, push them through, push them through, push them through. And then boom, they're like, I'm so sorry that I gave you resistance, but I'm so happy where we're at. With others, you need to be like, no, we're going to work slow with you. You don't want to go too slow where you don't get any results, but if you go too hard and fast, then you can ruin things as well. So sometimes, you know, it just reminds you of like, you know, soft, slow is soft and soft is fast, you know, and that wasn't great. Soft is slow, slow is fast. And that's like more of a, a, you know, learning a, a practical skill is that sometimes, being patient and not being right in every situation can actually get you right in the long term. And I think that happens with our own relationships, happens with your own goals. You need to know when you're on and when you're off and know where your, where your potential is, know where your limit is. And same thing with the dog. You need to know where the limit is. And I think when Dwayne from Dry Creek Ranger School was talking about um, working with a horse, was it a horse or was it talking about a mule? I can't remember. I've listened to a few things, but he said, I know going up that hill I can make him do it, but I don't know if it's going to happen for the next time. Maybe he throws me off. Maybe we get injured. Um, She was a new horse. I think that's right. New horse um, to push her too fast, too hard, too fast can taint the relationship. If we just go a little bit slow and work with the horse, then that's where we're going to get some results, especially for the future repetitions where you have to be planting seeds for the next time that you're interacting with your dog in that particular situation. So, that's why it's important that there comes a bit of wisdom with the knowledge that you're applying. And even though you hear me give some advice, this is all very general in nature. It's very hard to take some of this and then put it into everyday life because we're lacking context. If this is just an audible show, your dog's at a different level than what I've explained. And, you know, I'm giving horse examples and I don't even have anything to do with horses. So maybe I should... Um, Get some extra education, that. But I think there is a lot of there is a lot of similarity and differences with like a, a horse and a dog. The horse that you you really need to have like a bit of a cooperation. You can't really force them to do much. And even if you did force them to do do what they they do what you wanted, just like with a, with a dog, it's not that you can make it happen in that one moment. It's what's going to happen the next time you are in this situation. Now sometimes it could be that you are not going to interact with the dog again, and in that moment that dog is biting a child and you're going to pick your battle and you're going to fight that dog. And the consequences could be grim because, you know, you're going to get yourself injured or worse. Um, but are you going to, you are you going to pick your battle in that moment? So again, I'm all over the shop in terms of picking your battles. I want, I want today's episode to be something that I want you to be a bit more humble with your experience with the, with your dog, be a little bit more thoughtful, long game. We're talking longevity rather than something that you can make look good in that one moment, you know, and, and you do want your dog's relationship with you to be strong. You want to be a leader, not to dominate, even though you should have an essence of dominance, but to, um, but to create confidence, you need to have, um, there has to be a give and take. So, um, so some battles are worth fighting and others aren't. So don't bite off more than you can chew. I hope you've liked, you've enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening. And as always, big appreciation. And if you can share some love, um, a review on Spotify, a review on Apple Podcasts always goes a long way, along with sharing this with your friends, tell other dog um, dog people that you know to, to tune in to specific episodes, even this one. And if you can share something on your, on your social media, especially on Instagram, share it, share the stories and tag us in it so that way there we can share the love and more people can find out about the show. And until next time, hopefully me and Luke will be talking about our chosen topic of muster dogs. If you haven't um, watched the episode on Netflix, um, it's like a four part series. Go check it out. It was really cool, really fascinating. And we are going to talk about that next time that me and Luke tee up. So until next time, have an awesome day or night. See y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips, and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at NP underscore dog underscore training, my website, NPdogtraining.com, or my YouTube channel, Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening guys. My name is Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's kizunak 9 I Z U N A, k9canine.com.au. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at kizunak9training. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.